Remain standing, if you would, please. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to two portions of Scripture, Mark chapter number 10 and Luke chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10. And as we began last week, our look at the value of one, and our heart's desire is that we each put a little bit of focus on just simply reaching one. And so your family may target a family and you just want to reach one for the gospel, uh, for the cause of Christ with the gospel. Uh, individually, you may desire to reach one. I've got, a, I've got a couple ones in my mind. I've got a couple ones that I'm thinking on and praying on, and I've actually begun talking with some of them. But as we continue our look at the importance of reaching one, we noticed last week God's heart, and this week we're going to look at the heart of man. And what I'd like to kind of begin with is simply a question, do you see clearly? Do you see clearly? And so, by God's grace this morning, I'm going to give you a little bit more of an understanding as we make our way through Scripture. Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter number 10, starting in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm going to read one verse there, and then I'm going to jump over to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read one verse there for now. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Keeping your hand there and going over to Luke chapter number 10. Look at one verse of Scripture here in Luke chapter number 10, specifically verse number 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Father, give us now, we pray, a liberal portion of understanding as we get into your word. And Father, there are some, I believe, here who are wrestling with this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Father, there are some that are ignoring the question altogether. And there are some that maybe think that they know, but really they're dead, wrapped in rags of religion. So, Father, give us understanding and wisdom, for we lack it. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to examine these two different uh, but, sim uh, but similar situations. I believe Jesus probably got this question a whole lot more than is recorded in Scripture. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The reason I believe that he probably got this question quite often is because that was really the question of the day. It was really the whole point in everything that the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to, uh, by doing everything right and by following everything exactly, they were trying to earn their way into eternal life. And I, I think sometimes we get upset and we get to, uh, we are quick to point a finger, but at the end of the day, they were seeking the answer. They were seeking to know what it is that they must do in order to attain eternal life. I think that this is a question that many people uh, do ask, what must I do? What must I do? And the question is simply posed this morning, do you see clearly? And I want to approach that question from two different angles. One, do you see the truth of God's Word clearly? But secondarily, we are in the middle of a mini-series, a three-week-long mini-series leading up to July 11th. Our desire is to get people excited about going out and sharing the gospel with people. Our desire is to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. And we want to, uh, to be a help, to be an encouragement in this. 
And so as we look at this, the other angle that I want us to, to examine is, do you see clearly in the sense of bringing the gospel to the lost? I think sometimes we have lost sight. Now, I am absolutely loving the 40s age range. I'm loving it. I know there are some people that the birthday comes around and they're just, uh, I looked forward to 40. I know that's kind of an odd thing, but I am absolutely loving 40s, loving it, living the dream in my 40s. The only thing I don't like about my 40s is the eyes begin to wane. And where once upon a time I could read the smallest date on a dime, now I'm having to wear magnifying glasses. Literally, magnifying glasses strapped to my head. You know, it's an interesting thing that I need help with my sight. And I think no matter how good of eyesight you may have, it's going to deteriorate if you are not paying attention. And the things you thought you saw, maybe you did not see as clearly as you believed you did. I remember going to the, uh, going to the eye doctor about a, about a year and a half ago, and my eyes have always been odd, okay? My right eye was legally blind until I had surgery on it, and that brought it up to not legally blind. That was a praise. I was excited. I can actually see bodies now. My left eye was 2025, better than perfect. If I ever had a problem, all I did was close my right eye, and man, I could see it plain as day. But then I found myself when I would be reading, and I read for long periods of time, and I would be reading, and I had to hold my Bible. It wasn't putting it out at a distance. I watched some of y'all. You got you, you got your wife holding it way over here, you know, for it. And, uh, but it wasn't that for me. I had to look down. It was an odd thing. And I thought, there's something wrong. I, I don't know anything about it. Do I have one of them stigmatisms or something? I, didn't, I don't know what's going on. So I went to the eye doctor, and he says, um, so you're having eye fatigue. And I said, I don't know. All I know is as I read, I have to look down. I can't just look straight ahead. He said, let me see something. Yep, 1970. Yep, you're in your 40s. I'm like, what's that got to do with anything? He said something about the year 40, and things just change. You know, I believe that there's some Christians, spiritually speaking, in their 40s. And they have started to lose sight. They've started to dim a little bit. And so my goal is to give you three words today that spell C, S-E-E. Those of you who are always getting on to me about alliteration, you're welcome. The first one is to search out the seeking, search out the seeking. As we examine these two instances of Scripture, uh, the question that I believe enters the mind of all people at some point in time is posed right here, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, many pursue this, and they try to find an answer. They pursue it with everything. They leave no stone unturned. They get into uh, different religious views, different religious books, and they, and they start to read, and they start to digest, and they listen to everything that they can get their hands on. They start to read everything they can get their hands on. I can remember the time where I came to myself, and I said, all right, if there is a God, I want to know. And then when I came to a logical conclusion that there is a God, because none of this can come from nothing, chaos does not come, or order does not come from chaos. And logically speaking, nothing makes sense. Morality doesn't make sense if there is no God. If this was all just an accident, who cares what you and I do to one another? And so I came to a conclusion that, logically speaking, there must be a, a, a greater being than us. Logically, it just has to be. And so I said, all right, if that's the truth, that logically speaking, there has to be something more than what's going on right here, then I want to know him. 
And I did not, I did not rest. I picked up everything. I read everything. I talked to everybody I could get my hands on. Uh, anybody that would listen to me for any amount of, man, I wore out people like you wouldn't believe. Across the street at my apartment complex when I was single, uh, I, I lived in this little one bedroom apartment and right across the parking lot, there was a whole group of, we'll refer to them as missionaries. Right there, living across. And I'm like, oh, come talk to me. And I just drilled them with questions. I wanted to know. I was earnestly seeking the answers. I believe that there are a lot of people out there that earnestly are seeking to know. Uh, There are some that simply ignore it, and they get this feeling, it's just unknowable. And so they just ignore it. They know that there's something. They know that there is the question, but they just ignore it because ah, you, you can't really know about these things. But then I believe that there are some that just deny it altogether. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Ah, this is all there is. And they deny logic and just kind of put it all out of their mind. Regardless of whether there are people seeking, apathetic about it, or denying it, understand there are seekers. And the sad thing is that there are few people providing answers. Few people. You know, if you really kind of think about, for just a moment, the idea that there are people looking for answers, how many people do you come into contact with on any given week? How many people do you come into contact with just at work who might very well be seeking to find the answer to what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? There's someone that is going to come across your field this week that will never come across my field. And I'm afraid that many times we kind of get into our minds that, well, that's what pastors are for. That's what missionaries are for. That's what evangelists are for. Let's just think about this from a logical standpoint. In this room, there are, let's just use round numbers, around 90 people. And if 90 people come into contact, each individual, let's say you only come into contact with 10 people this week. 10 people. That's all the, any, everybody in here comes into contact with. Then out of the 90 people, that's 900 people. And if the pastor and the five deacons, that's six, if they're the only ones responsible to carry out this commission, that's 60 out of 900 that are given the gospel. There's a lot of people seeking, being ignored. And we want to do whatever it takes to provide the answers. We need to help them find the answers that they're seeking for. Here's the other sad thing about this is many of the people who are providing answers are not providing truth. They're giving them something. They're providing something. Turn on, turn on the radio. You'll listen for any amount of time. You're going to find a lot of information out there. You're going to find a lot of answers, but not all of them true. We live in a day and age where YouTube provides everything, right? You, you turn on, you turn on uh, the computer and you, you go into your, this, I, I like it. I, I'm one of those. I like it. You know, it's okay. My washer is making this funny noise and it gave me this code. What do I do? And you get on there, and within 15 minutes, man, you are the Maytag man. I'm not replacing my washer. You mean for $39.95 I can order a part? Well, I don't know how to repair. YouTube, how to repair. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but I have watched some things. Now, I grew up as a builder. My grandfather was a, was a carpenter, and I went and I, I, I did carpentry. And, and I was watching some videos. I was wanting to try to get an idea. And I was watching a couple of videos one day on how these different people went about a certain project. And I was looking going, that is the dumbest thing I think I have ever seen in my life. What kind of moron would do it that way? It's just what he was providing an answer, right? But it was wrong. It was a bad answer. 
both of these men come to Jesus and they use a term. You're still there in the book of Luke. Look at, look at what the, the lawyer here says in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, pause for station identification, okay? A lawyer in that day was not a lawyer like we see today, all right? Matlock wasn't in the gospel. A lawyer back then was someone who studied the law of God. It was someone who knew the law of God in and out. There were over 600 different rules or laws that they had to uh, adhere to. And so this lawyer was one of the ones that he knew them all. He knew every bit of it. And so this lawyer, he says he he, uh, stood up and tempted. This word for tempted means testing in order to prove. And so he comes to Jesus, and he's putting a test there. I want to see if this teacher really knows what he's talking about. You've done it before. You've talked with people, oh, let's just see how much, you know, your kid comes up to you, and you say, did you clean your room? Yep, I cleaned your room. And you test them. Did you get the dresser? No. Did you get your nightstand? No. What about under the bed? No. You're testing, right? You're wanting to check to make sure they actually did what they're claiming to do. Well, he says, this certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that little two-letter word. Do. Do. Now, we're going to take a closer look at this as we go, but I want to put this out right now. Any belief system, Any belief system, any religion that is based on maintaining outward rules of conduct is man-made. Man-made. Understand that. Man-made religion is always based on what you need to do. You. Now think about it. Here they come. Lawyer stands up and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points to him back to the law. He says in verse 26, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. If you were to go back into the book of Mark, and you look at Mark chapter 10, when the rich young ruler comes to him, verse 17, he says, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus goes through the, why do you call me good? There's none good, but that is God. Uh, But one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, All these have I observed from my youth. It's an interesting thing that Jesus would point them back to the law. And so the question would come into play maybe, uh, does that mean Jesus is saying that keeping the law is their salvation? Keeping the law is how they come to know? No, what Jesus is doing in this is he's pointing them back to Scripture. He says, what does Scripture tell you? And you have this uh, this one rich young ruler back in Mark chapter 10. He comes and he says, I've done it all. What? Really? You have from day one honored your father and your mother. You have never lied. You have never stole. You have that. Really? I don't know about you, but that's a pretty audacious claim. And Jesus is trying to point him back. Why is he doing this? Because he's trying to get the young man to understand his situation. Have you kept it? I've kept all this from my youth. <laughs> yeah, right. Let me call your mom. Let's find out if you really have kept all these from your youth. <laughs> Let me ask your wife. You really want to know the truth about yourself? Talk to your wife and your kids. <laughs> They're going to paint the picture that uh, they get to see seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You kept them all, have you? The guy over here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, what is written in the law? 
How readest thou? And the man responds correctly. Notice what he says. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says in verse 28, and he answered him, he says, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. (laughs) What? Now, is Jesus saying that if you keep the law, no. He told the rich young ruler, the rich young, the rich young ruler said, uh, uh, what must I do? And he says, what's written in the commandments? He tells this guy, he says, you're right. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll inherit eternal life. Here's why Jesus does it, because they should have responded, but I can't. What do they do? The one says, done. <laughs> Check. Got that one checked off the list. Trying to earn my way in and got it done, got it done, got it done. No, 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 my friend. But I like to contrast these two different examples. Because in the first one, Jesus points out the specific laws over here in Mark chapter 10. He points out some specific things and the guy proudfully with his thumbs and his lapels says, I've got it taken care of. I've done all that. Over here, he asks the guy, what do you read? And the man responds with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus responds, that's right, do this and you'll live. And both of these men feel that they're doing pretty well at the checklist. I don't steal. I don't cuss. I quit getting drunk. I, if I quit this, then God will give me eternal life. What, there must be one thing that I'm missing. What must I do? What must I do? And that's really where they were. We need to realize that there are many people seeking the answers. And in order for us to see clearly, we need to examine their thinking. And so that's our E, our first E. First, it's search out the seekers. The second is examine the thinking. Listen, as we interact with people, it is important to know what they're thinking so that we can know how best to guide. This is not a matter of, okay, so how can I trip them up? How can I? No, if that's your goal and your intent, do you mind doing the rest of us a favor and just don't? Just don't. If, if the only goal and the only desire is to see how many people you can add to your list to come in and report 60, 80, 90, 100 people, just like one more, one more ribbon for your book. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But here we have Jesus asking them how they're doing with this law. And this lets one uh, lets them uh, have to expose what's truly in their mind. And both of these guys kind of have an idea that they're doing pretty well. The first one, he says, I've done them all. I'll give you the seconds here in a minute. Honesty, though, demands that we admit our failures. Honesty would demand that. And am I trying to just get what, I want, or am I genuinely seeking, genuinely trying to understand? You see, this lets one see also if we learn to ask these type of questions and we just simply interact with the individual and they, well, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, what do you see in the Word of God? Well, the Bible tells me I'm not supposed to do this, not supposed to do that, and I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Nobody's perfect. Amen. But this one, actually, if you were to read it in uh, Matthew chapter 19, he, it almost, he acts like he says, I've done all that. What do I lack? That's kind of his wording. Jesus, in, Ma- in Mark chapter 10, he lets the young man know. Notice what it says there. Mark chapter 10. 
And verse 20, he says, and the young man, he says, I answered, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. This is an interesting statement, and a lot of people will try to twist this to make it sound like you're not allowed to have nice things if you're a Christian. That's not what is being said. Jesus put his finger on the problem of the young man, put his finger right on it. You ever gone to the doctor, maybe you have like, maybe your shoulder's hurting or something, you go to the doctor and he says, does it hurt when I do this? Yes. (laughs) What if I do this? Yes. Is it right here that hurts? Yes. Put the finger right on the problem, right? This is what Jesus is doing. And over here in Luke chapter 10, here's an interesting thing. Look at Luke chapter 10. Verse 28, Jesus says, uh, and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, when we read this passage, nine times out of ten, we're going to just jump straight to Jesus' story about, uh, you know, who his neighbor is, the Good Samaritan. But I want you to not lose sight of something here. He completely sidestepped the first part. Jesus says, what are you reading the law? And the young man says, uh, well, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, that's right. He said, but who's my neighbor? Completely ignoring the love in the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He just completely sidestepped. Let's just not deal with that one. <laughs> hey, let's go ahead and make a, let's do a poll real quickly. We like audience participation. I like audience participation. It makes sure that Jeff stays awake. Now, raise your hand if you have kept that first one well. Just any takers. Thou, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Any, any How come ain't no hand going up? No, no, nobody? Huh. You see, he wanted to jump straight over to the neighbor part. This young man should have looked at Jesus when Jesus says, that's right, this do and you shall live. He should have looked at him and he says, I can't. Now what? But instead, he's wanting to justify himself and go, well, who's my neighbor? The guy that lives across the street? Next door? Who's my neighbor? But Jesus is so nice. It's a good thing I'm not God, and I'm sure it's a good thing some of you all aren't too, because I would have just gone, dude, really? (laughs) You jump into neighbor, you have completely ignored the whole God thing. You just, (laughs) but Jesus handles it so graciously and so kind. You see, he jumps over this. Many of us do the same thing. You see, we don't notice that very much because we're used to doing it too. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself is the second. He says, on this, hang all the law and the prophets. Those two right there. You see, we like to make sure we're doing right things. And Jesus got back to the heart. What do you love? What do you love? Do you love him? You see, the rich young ruler, he, Jesus put his finger right on it. He says, (laughs) you love your money. That's why you need to sell it and get rid of it, because you love that more than him. For some people, they love their children more than they love God. For some people, they love their activities more than they love God. For some people, they love their spouse more than they love God. Some people love their job more than they love God. Some people are willing to sacrifice anything for everything other than God. 
They look at their schedule and the weeks uh, in preparation, and they're going, okay, well, let's see. Monday, I've got this going on. Tuesday, i got this going on. Wednesday, i got this going on. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Hmm, let's see. What can I cut out so that my week is not so full? Well, let's just not go to church. Church is usually the last thing to make the cut for some people. I got to make sure I spend time with my family, and then I got my work, and then I got this. And God will forgive me. You see, we need to understand what we love. And it's time for us to be honest. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. Bible doesn't say thou shalt love your child with all your heart. It says, love your God. And so here's the thing. What do you love with all your heart? That's your God. What is the most important thing to you this morning? That's your God. I want you to look at this. We're going to read through this story of the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to try to unpack this briefly. Verse 30 says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them uh, to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Now, I don't want to dwell too much in this, but If you've been in church for an extended period of time, you probably already understand that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The Samaritans were a group of people uh, that if you really want to go back into history and to see their lineage and what takes place there, they had uh, had kind of stemmed off of the Israelite people. They ended up putting together their own uh, version of Judaism, so to speak. And they had their own type of practice. It was, it was pretty much its own standalone. And I guess a, a modern day example of that would be something, you know, kind of like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. You know, they, they are, are, they look similar to Christianity, but they're really not. And so maybe a standalone would, uh, or a situation like that would kind of be a good, uh, uh, example. But here in uh, uh, the Samaritans' case, the Jewish people, they, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jewish people. And here you have a Jewish man standing up, a certain lawyer, asking Jesus how in the world he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him a story about a man getting knocked down on the road. This was a dangerous road. Nobody really traveled this road solo. They knew better than to travel this road solo. And so this guy made a foolish decision. He gets knocked down. He gets taken advantage of. And then uh, uh, this uh, uh, this Samaritan's the one that comes along, and he's the hero of the story. This would have rubbed them the wrong way automatically. Automatically. Now, years ago, and I mean years ago, I heard... And I cannot remember where to give credit to this, but I heard three philosophies, I read or heard or something, three philosophies that we can draw from this passage, and that's what I want to try to convey this morning. If you look and it says a certain man went down from Jerusalem, Jericho fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is the first philosophy of life, which is simply what is thine is mine, and I'll get it if I can. What's thine is mine, and I'll get it if I can. There's a lot of people living that way today. 
You turn on the news and there's people trying to pass laws that way. What's yours ought to be mine, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. You know, there are people that work harder at not working than if they had just gotten themselves a job. What's thine is mine. That ought never to be said of God's people. Never. Never let it be said of a child of God that they took advantage of the system. That they took from someone else. That they robbed anybody. That they took advantage of. That they lied to get ahead. No. That ought never be said of God's people. The second verse, or the second philosophy we see in verse 31 and 32, notice what it says. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he had, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. Now remember, all priests are Levites, not all Levites are priests. This is a certain Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. This second philosophy is what is mine is mine, and I will keep it if I can. What's mine is mine. Now, there may not be a lot of Christians maybe necessarily taking from other people, but you know what it ought never to be said of a child of God either? is that they were selfish. God desires his children to be the most generous people on earth. And while you are here on this planet, it is not for you to accumulate more and more and more and more for yourself, but to accumulate so that you can give and give and give and be a blessing to the rest of this world. But many people today live with the philosophy, what is mine is mine, and I'll keep it if I can. Let's move away from the monetary value for a minute. How generous have you been with the gospel recently? Well, this is the truth God taught me. This is the blessing God gave me, and I'm going to keep it for myself. Just like the priest and the Levite walking by on the other side. I see my neighbor in need. I see that he is hurt. I see that he needs something, but I'm going to ignore that need and move on because what's mine is mine. And I'm going to keep it. Look at verse 33. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he, was, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. This is the third philosophy of life, the philosophy in which God desires for us to live. What is mine is thine, and you can have it if you need it. What's mine is thine, and you can have it if you need it. See, you almost get the impression that Jesus is not simply answering the lawyer and telling him to love others but he's exposing this man's lack of love for others. You see, God wants us to be generous. And as we come into contact with people and we search out those who are genuinely seeking to know more about Jesus Christ, we examine their thinking, find out where they are, and just as Jesus, he starts to, uh, to explain some things, the third is to expose the reality. You see, with each encounter Jesus had, he always got right to the heart of the matter, right to the heart of it. The young man over in Mark chapter 10, he says, you love your stuff more than you love God and others. You need to go sell that, take up your cross, follow me. But he walked away, the Bible says, sorrowful 
because that stuff was too important for him to get rid of. See, Christians today, I'm sad to say, are more concerned with popularity and what is socially acceptable that they hide the truth. Well, Pastor, you can't say those kind of things. If you say those kind of things, hmm, you might offend someone. If you say that, Pastor, you might hurt their feelings. But we need to love them enough to give them the truth. I I want you to notice this with me. It costs someone something to truly love. And real love costs you something. And the question that you need to ask yourself, my friend, is are you willing to pay? Well, if I tell my friend that they need to know Christ as their personal Savior, they they may not want to be my friend anymore. If I tell my friend that there is one way to God, I I can't tell you how many times I've seen these namby-pamby so-called preachers on national television and someone says, is Jesus the only way? And they look at the interviewer with their eyes wide open and that big old flashy smile and say, I won't say that. I will. Because I don't want people believing a lie. Jesus is the only way. The only truth, and if you truly love them, you'll let them know. Are you willing to pay what it might cost? If you look there at Luke 10, 35, notice this. It says, on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. (laughs) So it's like, took out two pennies? I'm happy to give two pence. That's it? Two pence? I'll give three. One commentator actually equated what this would have been like, this denarii. The word is denarius. And what it would have been would be equivalent. A night's lodging would have cost someone one thirty-second of a denarii. So this man pulls out two and supplies enough money for two months' stay and care. You need a place to stay for the night? Well, I'll pay for a hotel for tonight. Are you willing to pay for a hotel for the next two months? That's a different story. That's extravagant love. That's over and above. And the man says to the innkeeper, he says, hey, when I come back, whatever else he owes, I'll pay. That's love. Well, I don't want to say anything to them about Jesus because it might hurt their feelings. That's not love. It's not. Notice verse 37. When Jesus asks the man, he says, which of these do you believe was neighbor? Verse 37, he said, the one that showed mercy on him. Even at this point, he can't bring himself to spit out Samaritan. (laughs) So which one do you think was neighbor? Any of us would have been like, well, the Samaritan. The one that was nice. Duh. The one that was nice. Jesus says unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. So how do we conclude this? Well, ask yourself, you know, what about this can you apply to your life? You see, Jesus came out and he exposed priorities. 
And you and I, my friends, have been given a task to accomplish. And here is your task, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's your task. I've told you about your purpose. You're created in the image of God. You are to be image bearers of God. Here's how you do it. You love God with every part, every fiber of your being, and then you love others. And so in looking at this, the question is, are you seeing clearly? Are you seeing clearly? Well, Jesus came to seek out and to save that which was lost. So as his followers, we too must be searching for those who are lost. And so in applying this to yourself, are you searching for one? Are you? This is, this is for you. If the answer is no, how can you say you're loving your neighbor? Look, I adore my wife. And I've got no problem saying that. I don't care who hears it. I don't care who knows. I love my wife. I'll tell you. I'll show you. I don't even mind to kiss her in public. Kind of enjoy it, to be honest with you. Do I love him that much? Are you seeking someone to tell about it? Are you seeking someone that needs to hear? I got my kids started collecting coins. And we fill up these books. Every time I, we were doing nickel books, and I'd pull out a big bunch of nickels, and they go, oh, because we have to look through 4,722 nickels to kind of come up with one. And I'm like, Dad, yep, let's get these going. So we're going, going, combing through the nickels, man. We're just going through nickels, nickel, 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 nickel. And they're sitting there going, I don't need that one. I don't need that one. I don't need that one. You got to go through a box of $100 worth of nickels, and you might find two or three that you need by this point. But when you find that one, I need it, I need it, I need it. There's excitement. Some of us are too lazy to dig through the box of nickels to find the one we're looking for. Just like some of us are too lazy to go talk to 15 people to find the one that's actually searching. Well, I went and invited somebody. They said no. Go invite another one. Once you get to know these people, take time to examine their thinking. Get to know what they're looking for. Get to know what they're thinking. Take time with them. You know, don't be so quick to ignore their questions and rush in to pursue your agenda. I just want to be able to go to church and tell people, I got somebody to pray a prayer. No, stop doing that. Answer their questions. Take time with them. People need to know you care before they'll ever care about how much you know. And then third, are you willing to get to the point? Do you love others enough to tell them the truth? Now do it lovingly. Share the truth in love. But do it. Jesus left these men with simple direction. Follow me. 
and go do likewise. As we get closer and closer to this July 11th, I want to encourage you, find one, just one. That's it. Find your one and love them. May cost you something. May cost you a little bit of time. Well, you know, I, I need some help hanging plaster. I don't know. I need some help with this. I need some help with that. Let me come over and help you. And while I'm over there showing them that I care, I can tell them about the one that cares the most. Just one. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would do something to our hearts that only you can do, and that's burden us. Burden us for the cause of Christ. Burden us with the truth of who you are. Burden us, Father, to share the gospel with those around us. Not to be so selfish, not to be so self-centered and trying to hide everything that's ours. No, this is mine, this is personal, this is private, and I don't want anybody to have any part of this. But God, that we would be willing to share and to give. God in heaven, forgive us for for ignoring, for being like the priest and the Levite who walked by on the other side, just ignoring the problems, ignoring the people in pain, ignoring those hurting. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us with a renewed desire to be like the Samaritan, to go over and generously above and beyond love. Father, revealed to us this week, even now, who's our neighbor in need of truth. We'll be very careful, Lord, to praise you and to do what you want us to do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.